Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 26 of the podcast, where we're recapping last week's episodes, including the Supergirl finale, Better Angels, Flash, Season 2, Episode 18, versus Zoom, and Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 12, Last Refuge. My name is Matt Murdock, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. And that's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes. You can also find all of our social media and contact links, like at Save This City Pod on Twitter, or sending emails to Save This City Podcast at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line 314-669-1840. It's also where you can find podcatcher links, and if you would please take the time for whatever podcatcher app that you use, please take the time to leave me a written review so that I can figure out how better to improve this show. And that's enough about that. Let's get right into talking about these episodes. And we're going to start with Supergirl, Season 1, Episode 20, Better Angels. It was the Season 1 finale with a story by Andrew Kreisberg and Allie Adler, a teleplay by Robert Rovner and Jessica Queller, and it was directed by Larry Tang. So... A finale that equally wrapped things up and still kind of left a cliffhanger just in case CBS gives this show a second season is what we got. As far as I know, that's still yet to be determined, but it was it was a safe play uh, given that I'm sure they had to shoot this quite a while back. And, and the way they did it really made it work either way for me because you can walk away from this episode with the idea that Alex and John Jones are going to find uh, her father and that James and Kara will be together, and that Kara will have a future both at Catco and uh, fighting superhuman crime, of course. Or if they do get picked up, then those storylines can just actually be played out. But either way, it works. You, you know, the universe goes on, not unlike the Angel ending, I think, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but I, I thought it was fine, and it was again a safe play. They've opened up a door uh, to be able to continue, and they closed enough things to where you can accept them the way they are. Now, I suppose if you're a sap like I am, then you probably enjoyed this episode quite a bit, because from Alex's regrets for letting herself become in control to like Kara's whole hope speech, to all of the goodbyes when Kara thought she was going to die... Um, to Kat giving Kara a promotion. I mean, all of that had feels, and some of it was cheesier than others. But I found myself in the moment of 
those scenes more than worrying about analyzing them or criticizing them. I, I just felt the feelings of them, especially the Alex stuff and the cat stuff, because those two characters have really been the main reason that I stuck with this show for the whole season. And that's nothing on Melissa Benoist's performance as Supergirl. I think she does a fantastic job, but it's always the scenes that she's in with Alex or with Kat that make me really enjoy this show. It seems like um, Callista Flockhart brings everybody's game up when they're in a scene with her. And uh, I think that Shyler Lee does the same and Melissa Benoist can't hold her own with them. So that's great. I'll be the first to admit that I really know nothing in regards to whether this really pertains to relationships between women. It's all good feel stuff for me, but I have no idea whether it's remotely realistic or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, all of that stuff in this particular episode uh, with all the girl talk was very touching and mostly interesting, especially the exploration of the sister relationship again between Alex and Kara. Um, there's been several times a season where Shyler Lee's performances have just carried scenes so well, especially scenes that I think if you just looked at them on the script page, they probably wouldn't read all that well, no matter what kind of way you might picture the scene in your head uh, before it was executed. It's kind of, a lot of uh, Alex's scenes are execution dependent and they really developed uh, over the last half of the season, a lot of baggage between Kara and Alex and that they've been carrying around that you can say, you know, since their childhood even. And uh, throughout the course of the season, they developed it really well. And even though as soon as Alex looked at Kara's pod, I mean, I knew nothing was going to happen to Supergirl at that point, but I still had a, a moment of feels when they had their goodbye. That was of superior sap quality. And hook, line, and sinker, I, I definitely fell for it. I had the feels. Now, I have to say that I've never seen Working Girl. Is that a movie, I guess? Um, so that reference when Kara got her promotion, I mean, that, that was all lost on me. But the emotion of Kara saying goodbye earlier to Kat and Kat calling her kind of out on it. And then at the end when Kat did pronounce uh, Kara's name correctly, all of that got me. First... I love how Cat played down the earlier moment in, in a typical Cat Grant kind of fashion. But what Kara said couldn't have been a better depiction of who Cat has become, I think, to us show watchers all season. You know, she's a beacon of smarts, strength, grace. And even though she is quite prickly on the outside, she truly is a loving person on the inside. And I thought that that was a great way to talk about Kat's character in that moment and the way that Kara sees her. There was an exception to that whole her being smart and all that when she was not seeing Kara as Supergirl, but I can dismiss that for all of the other good stuff this season. And the paying off of, of her pronouncing Kara's name right, even though she had just said it wrong like two sentences before, and most likely that was done on purpose, but that was a great moment. I thought that that really hit me. Uh, really well. And again, I'm a sap, I know. Um, the moment with Kara saying goodbye to Wynn was great too. And I really like how they've seemingly uh, settled that relationship back out to a satisfying place by the end of the season because it was just kind of all over the map uh, for part of the season. And then the whole Shaboan thing happened and I just didn't know if Wynn was ever going to be the same again. 
Um, and if you are people who like the James and Kara stuff, then you got one last little heart tug, I guess, with her goodbye to him before we got the whole budding relationship at the end. So that was all okay for me. I mean, that stuff's not with Kara and James. It's not great for me, but it's okay. And I do actually like where Lucy ended up as well, because if they do get a second season, I suppose they can rotate Jenna Dewan Tatum in and out if they wish to keep her as a guest star status, or they can even have her come in and co-lead with John Jones in a full star status. Um, and ha- we could see her character working with John Jones at the DEO all the time. Love that. And, and really Lucy, when you look at her run, cause I didn't really care what they did with her at the beginning, just becoming another foil, um, yet another piece in the whole love quadrangle octog- octagon thing. <laughs> um, but they really developed her uh, relationship with all of the other characters very well this season, I thought. So I hope that Lucy does get to come back if the show comes back, that they're not just going to have her doing DEO things off screen somehow. So those are the things that I really kind of liked about this finale. And, and here's some things that I really didn't like, uh, like Maxwell Lord, because the whole holding hands thing with Alex after having just flirted with Cat earlier, um, that guy's a player, man. On top of that, being all about the team save the world thing, yet he and General Lane seem to have an idea on how to use that Kryptonian tech, which can probably only mean weaponizing it as far as uh, it w- would seem to me. So you never know which side, if any, the real Lord is on. And maybe that's the point. And, and maybe it would be interesting if, if it wasn't kind of just all clunky and, and thrown together just because the the writing needed to manufacture some kind of tension. I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't find mystery in Max, just confusion. And I'm not sure that that's what the show was trying to relate. Another thing I didn't like was that whole kind of fairly anticlimactic final battle. Plus, I really have lots of tomatoes for that. Like, you know, if Indigo can literally shard herself into thousands of pieces to travel into tech and whatever, I mean, how does John Jones tearing her in half do anything to her at all? I mean, couldn't she just reassemble? That's what she does. I mean, she tears herself apart a lot worse than that. So how how did did that end her? Um, And I'm still not sure how I understand the whole thing about Kara, when she screams, that awful, ugh, that's a terrible scream, um, gave her eye lasers any more power than before. I mean, is she? Is it because she's putting rage into it? Is that what's happening? Um, because if she was able to do that in the beginning, then why didn't she just do that in the beginning? Uh, it, it seems like they just made her being backtracked and, and like it was about to end for her simply for the sake of drama and without the sake of reason. And then... You have this whole Kal-El thing. I mean, writers, if you do get a second season, please take note of this. Your TV audience isn't stupid. You can simply cannot have Kal-El be on an off-world mission in the episode before and then say Kara can't manipulate herself in space unless you somehow explain in those stupid IM messages that he knows something that she doesn't. I mean... Literally, when she goes to the Fortress of Solitude, Kelex tells her, 
that Superman is off-world, and that means not on the Earth. So he's found a way to manipulate himself through space. So the whole Kryptonian flying in space thing, to me, has always bothered me. I've never been a big fan of that, but I did accept it. But one thing that I can accept is one Kryptonian being able to do it while the other is not without any kind of explanation. It seems more like it's simply to manufacture a drama that Kara might die. Though I will admit this, I did like seeing Alex in the pod to come and get her. That was pretty awesome. Alex is badass. And I hate to say it, but all of the other things in the episode, they just kind of went beneath my notice or they seemed unimportant. So that really brings me to my rating of this. As a superhero story, this wasn't all that great, really, to me. The shots, especially of uh, Kara flying Fort Roz into space, now those looked fantastic. Uh, Those visual effects were great. But at the same time, the battle before didn't really look all that good. Um, I guess they had to spend most of their money on the Fort Ross thing, and that's fine. Um, They spent their money well on that, that's for sure. Um, But again, what really saved the episode for me was the other side of it. Not the Earth Peril, not the Myriad, not any of the non-Indigo stuff. Um, It was the family side. It it was bonding all of these characters uh, as a family and, and the emotional side of it, which, again, I thought was so well done by Shiler and Callista and Melissa. All of those guys just did fantastic. And because it was a sappy episode, and I am a sap, um, that's going to win out all of over all of my you know problems with the episode. And I'm going to go 8.4 on my 10 scale. And with that, why don't we move to the episode that aired, that aired last Monday. Now we'll move to what aired last Tuesday, which was The Flash, Season 2, Episode 18, versus Zoom, which was written by Joe Pericino and David Cobb and directed by Stefan Plachinski. I hope I said that name right, Mr. Plachinski. Um, tweet from our friend Donald. He tweeted me after this episode. He had watched it. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at DonaldJR. The Flash and Supergirl crossover officially makes no sense now. Why wouldn't they just do an extra scene? They managed to ruin the entire season of Flash with one single nonsense episode. None of this Flash episode made any sense. And my response to the whole Supergirl-Flash crossover thing, it's really just pure speculation. But uh, So let me clarify that right up front. But here's what I think went down, or why it went down. Uh, naturally, CBS and CW are both owned by Time Warner, um, but CBS may have the exclusive rights with DC for Supergirl, whereas um, the CW um, does not have any rights for that. Or CBS, being the parent company of the CW, um, may have the rights to all of the characters, um, but the CW has to negotiate separately with DC, and therefore they can't use the Supergirl name at all. Now, while Barry was running back from Keystone to the lab in the very beginning of the episode, it did seem like there were two blue flashes, which I think are supposed to indicate the breach that we saw Flash come through at the beginning of the Supergirl episode and at the go through at the end of the Supergirl episode. So all of that just happens in a split second in the Flash universe. 
even though he was gone for days. And then Barry asks, how long was I gone? Uh, And I think that that was just a little clue in to us as viewers who watch both shows that, you know, he was actually gone for several days, but he just doesn't remember it. Now, the question is, why doesn't he remember it? Um, he has no mention of another universe. And, and I guess there's two possible explanations for this. And again, this is pure speculation on my part, but uh, you can apply your own Occam's razor um, to each of these explanations and see which one works best for you as long as we're just speculating. Um, the first one, it could be that he actually does realize that the other universe exists, but he also realizes that he cannot control which universe he goes in and out of, and so that's why he abandons the idea of just running from one universe to the other. That one's pretty simple, um, even though it, you know there's no indication of any explanation, but maybe, again, because he can't mention anything about the Supergirl universe on a CW show. Um, again, just speculating. Now, my second explanation is a little bit more complicated um, because we know that he actually does remember his own universe when he arrives in Supergirls. But there is a difference between the way he comes in and the way he goes out. He comes in evidently just running on his own with the Tachyon Enhancer. But on the way out, um, he's combining his speed with Supergirls so that's a difference. And maybe, you know, maybe he traveled too fast. Maybe that somehow affects his memory and he just loses it. Uh, and, and both of those explanations are pretty thin. And again, they're pure speculation, really based on how the different networks rights are done with the DC universe. But that's really all that I have uh, in terms of a way to explain it. And I'll say again, Um, This is all that I have for now. I mean, we might get a better explanation in the future, um, but I I definitely feel like that you're supposed to put the Supergirl episode into that one second between the two blue breaches when Barry was running back from Keystone. And that was really a lot of talk for just one single little scene, wasn't it? Um, So let me move on to other things, like Cisco. I mean... The whole Star Wars dark side thing, that was great to me. I'm a Star Wars fan, so I love that. And then this idea of him being able to manipulate multidimensional energy is great because it explains um, possibly how Zoom could get back and forth uh, from Earth to uh, prior. Um, Zoom could have had Reverb create the breaches earlier in the season instead of the singularity causing them. Now, we did get an explanation that the singularity caused the breaches. So again, apply your own Occam's razor there. I'm just going out uh, on a possible tangent of multiple ways that the writers could explain this. Um, But he could have just had uh, Reverb uh, create the breaches. But my big question is, can Cisco also close the breaches? Because if he opens up the breach and it stabilizes for whatever reason, will they have to just use their old method of closing the breach once they're done with Zoom? I understand that they had to leave one breach open at the end of this episode um, simply because they didn't have time to close it before Zoom took Wally. And then, at the end, with Zoom taking Caitlin, you know, they'll have to continue to leave it open until they can do something about it. But 
let's assume everything works out in the end and Barry somehow gets his powers back, uh, which is a big deal, and then he defeats Zoom. And even if he only defeats Zoom temporarily, and they even close the breaches, my thing is, is if Zoom is a time remnant, huh, which I hate the whole time remnant thing. You're going to hear me talking extensively about that in a little bit. But could Zoom ever actually be defeated for good? I mean, he might not be able to be. I mean, if not, then is it possible that given a certain amount of time, uh, he will develop a way to open the breaches from a, a reverbless world? But I guess, really, I should take that uh, one step at a time and just where we are. So with that, Let's talk about Hunter Solomon. And I have to say that I actually really like the origin story of Hunter Solomon. I, I thought that was great to see how similar his and, and Barry's original circumstance was and how just the, uh, the difference of, of Barry ending up with the Wests, whereas Hunter uh, ending up in an orphanage, how much of a difference that might have made. There, there were a couple of moments where I actually felt bad for Hunter as a kid. And all of the Earth 2 shots were, were so cinematically different from the Earth 1 shots. Um, so it was fantastic to see the contrast. And I actually did like to see how there is still maybe the slightest bit of humanity left in Hunter. Um, if that was the only reason to have the, the Caitlin slash Jay romance, then I guess it kind of paid off. Plus the bit with the the cardboard cutouts of his parents. That was a great way to distract him. But again, as I mentioned before, we got all of this info dump on the Jay death thing. And look, I, I know that I have to accept it because the show has used it twice now. They've used the time remnant once with Thawne and once with Zoom. But I hate the time remnant thing. It, it, it just really seems like a cheap and, and really unexplainable reason to fall back on just so you can like have villains or even heroes return at some point when you give them a final thing and this to me is almost kind of like the flash's version of arrow's lazarus pit um it makes it easy to reboot without uh, in in a really cheap way and i i really don't care for that and maybe all these things are in the vein of the comic books but this show also uses a ton of scientific psychobabble just to confuse an audience into accepting something that I feel like the writers, be them comic book uh, fans or not, they're just kind of lazy. I mean, if you want a death to actually mean something, you have to keep it permanent. If not, then I, I really stop feeling peril for anyone anymore. And maybe that's the point of a superhero show too, but I, I want to feel a little... I, how am I supposed to care about a character when I know he's going to come out on top in the end every time? I, I also wish if they'd have just reversed it and had Zoom be the younger version of himself and Jay be the older version of himself, maybe a more remorse, uh, an older remorseful Zoom trying to fight his younger self, that, that would have been actually a lot more dramat dramatically compelling to me. But, um, like I said, I, I, I guess it is what it is. I don't like the explanations we got, but I do have to accept them. I, except for the fact that Zolomon killed his younger self in an earlier episode. When he did that, he seemed surprised that it had happened. And in this episode, he made it seem like he planned it. And I guess Zoom could be lying, 
but I don't like having to speculate anymore. I've already speculated so much on this podcast already. So am I just going to fanfic it in there that Zoom was lying about this? And I also have no idea about the whole dark eyes and voice changing thing. What is that about? Is that a time remnant thing? Did we see that in the time remnant Thon ep? I honestly can't remember, so if you can, just help me out there and remind me, or is this just something that we've never seen before? Um, save this city podcast at gmail.com or at save this city pod or three one four six six nine one eight four zero. And now I'm going to get to Barry and wow, Barry was great in this episode. And of course it was tragic, the sacrifice that he made, but you wouldn't expect him to be any other way, would you? I mean, all of his interactions with all of the Wests and his decisions and his encouragement to Cisco. I mean, that's what being a superhero is all about. It's not the power that makes you the superhero. And, and I think that Harry Wells had pointed this out back in that very special steroids episode. What, what was the name of that? Ep- uh, oh, uh, trajectory. Um, you know, it's it's about the standards that you hold as opposed to um, the power that you have. And that's exactly what Barry demonstrated in, in this episode. And I love how Barry was so perceptive about Wally and the fact that, that Joe and Iris are so important to him that even if Barry himself isn't as close to Wally as they are, Joe and Iris are just so important to him that he, he's willing to sacrifice his speed for Wally. Of course, that doesn't leave him very well because uh, Zoom was going to kill him even after he had his speed. So does that imply that he still thinks Barry might be a threat in the future? That Barry could come back from this, having his speed taken? I guess we have to hope so. We want Barry to have his speed back. Did Zoom take Caitlin simply because he wanted to lure Barry back to Earth so that he can kill Barry there? Or did Zoom take Caitlin simply because she awakened some feelings in him and he wants to, you know, be with her or whatever. Um, Either way, uh, Team Flash is is going to have to do something to try and get her back, and I'm not exactly sure what they can. But then you have the whole Barry Iris thing, and and writers, again, (laughs) either do the CW mandate or don't, but stop kind of like sticking your toes in the water and then pulling them back out. Ooh, it's too cold. If you're going to have a love triangle with this Scott editor dude, then just do it so that we can get through it and get over it. It it almost feels to me like you're trolling the audience at this point with the whole Barry Iris thing and this possible Scott dude. Or maybe you're it's it's like you're taking the ratings or or reviews as kind of a poll to see whether you want to do the love triangle or not. And and I'm pretty sure that I've said my piece on that situation. Um, and, uh, I, I wish that you would just commit one way or the other. I'm tired of the dangling. So I'll just leave that issue at that. And there are still many, many questions that we have had answered in this episode, but there are lingering mysteries still like, where is Jesse? Um, the, the whole Wells, um, Joe scene, I, I feel like that Cisco's vibe in the, in the prior episode kind of pointed me to the fact that she was on earth too. That's the way it seemed to me. But since we don't see any evidence of zoom being able to create bre- breaches since 
they've been closed, at least not yet. I, I, I think that we have to assume that no matter where he has Jesse in Vibes Flash, then it has to be, at least in terms of time, somewhere in the future that it hasn't happened yet. And, of course, there's the lingering question of who is in the mask. We know it's somebody who can spell J with some kind of tapping code, but that's the one thing that Zoom teased us with rather overdramatically and said, it, you know, it's someone we will never suspect. And if that is so, then I'm going to say that since Zoom can time travel, it's Earth One Barry from the future. I mean, I don't have any reason. I'm just, I've spent this whole section of the podcast just speculating anyway. So let me speculate some more and say uh, a powerless Barry and Zoom have to face off. And then Zoom will time travel back in time with this captured powerless Barry and, and keep him prisoner so that, you know, he can be there when we saw those events happen on Earth 2 earlier in the season. You know, because if the showrunners can have time remnants, why not have that? I can have my crazy crackpot theory if they can have time remnants. Okay, I've complained about that enough, I guess. Uh, that's all I got on Flash. So, well, except for my rating. And like I said, I, I didn't like some of the explanations that we got in this episode. But I do understand that I just have to accept them. And, and in terms of the drama, including the great Joe scenes and the Hunter Zolomon stuff and the sacrifice that Barry makes, I mean, I was really into this episode. Um, especially, you know, again, the contrast in the cinematography was just really extraordinary and everything was pretty well acted, I thought. So I'm going to go a nine for this app. I'm psyched to see how they follow it up. So with that... Let's move on from Flash to Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 12, entitled Last Refuge. And that was written by Chris Fedek and Matthew Mela. I hope I pronounced those names right. It was directed by Rachel Talele. Um, gosh, so many names that I just don't know how to pronounce. Um, and, and just going with the whole time remnant thing in Flash, now we get something that it really pretty much completely contradicts that or at least by my understanding, to the time remnant thing. And our friend Donald uh, tweeted to Camille and I. Uh, Donald, by the way, is at Donald Jr. on Twitter. Once again, at Donald Jr. And Camille is at Lady Oddity, so follow them. Anyway, Donald tweeted that Rip said, if you die in the past, you don't exist in the future. And isn't that exactly what Zoom has done? He's killed a younger version of himself? That's no different than the Pilgrim uh, doing that to the Time Pirate that we saw at the beginning of this episode. And it completely contradicts what Rip says here. Uh, we saw the immediate correlation between what was happening to Ray in 2014 and on the ship. So none of this makes any sense if, if it's all put in the same universe to me. It's completely contradictory, the, the Flash episode and the Legends of Tomorrow episode. Now, Ray, I will say, did ask how long the effect would be of getting killed in, uh, in the past and dying on the ship. And maybe that's supposed to be the time remnant thing that keeps you alive for a while. Um, still, it really doesn't seem to correlate with the whole Thawne time remnant thing where he never should have been born. So I'm just totally confused. There's, there's just... Also, there is also this explanation at the end of the episode 
that it takes a while for the removal of the younger team cells to become concrete. And they're kind of struggling against that. You know, they need to finish the mission with Savage so that they can return the kids uh, before these effects do become permanent. So maybe that is a time remnant thing. You know, it's just the fact that what's happened in the Flash universe in terms of Zoom killing his uh, his younger self, maybe that time effect hasn't been concreted yet. Uh, but you would still think it would be inevitable either way. Now, despite the problems that this episode creates for the Flash episode, I really like this episode on its own. And I love diving further into Rip's past, or maybe I should say Michael's past, and the idea that there is an orphanage somewhere in time to take, you know, future Time Masters. But the problem that I have with that is, wouldn't the Time Masters have to know where that place is in order to be able to get their new recruits? I suppose you could say that this adopted mother merely meets the Time Master somewhere else with the new recruits, um, and so that keeps the location secret. So I'm really not too bothered by it. But again... I still feel like maybe the next time she meets with them, is it possible that the other time masters might try to extract the information of where this orphanage is so that they can do the Omega protocol again with all of those kids at the orphanage? I mean, oh, well, I, for now it is what it is. And again, lots of questions, no real answers, but it'll be fun to see what they do from here. As for the threat itself, uh, the pilgrim, I thought she was pretty badass. I mean, I enjoyed all of the action sequences, especially with the the micro-time manipulation. I thought that was fantastic. And um, the Pilgrim was pretty easy on the eyes, but I, I really don't know how good of an actress that girl is. And they, that, I think that was probably indicated by a great deal of lack of dialogue, <laughs> um, uh, especially considering that this is a one-off character since she's been destroyed. Um, still, it, it was de- definitely adequate enough to, to create a real peril and a menace. And that's all you need, really, for a one-off villain, I guess. I think, though, the things that I really enjoyed most about the episode had nothing to do with the Omega Protocol. At least not directly. I mean, it was all of the interactions with the past versions and, and with the the father that you never met and all of that stuff. Like... The talks with Roy to his younger self were fantastic. And even though I feel like that they kind of went on the cheap end with the whole reformed Rory thing, um, just because it seemed too rushed, the show has obviously moved on. So I got to move on with that as well. And I think that the talks between the two Rory's were very good. And that kid actor wasn't too bad. Something else that I just thought was fantastic was seeing uh, Katie Lotz playing a younger version of herself, a much more teenage version of herself, and, and seeing uh, Paul Blackthorne as a younger version of Captain Lance. That was great. Plus, the whole amnesia pill thing is a nice way uh, to keep the timeline in the Arrow show from being too disrupted as well. Also, you know, Sarah and Kendra getting baby snart out of the hospital. Oh, that was so cute and funny. I loved that. But what I really loved in this particular episode, if we're talking about the development of characters, it's got to be Jax. I mean, he had, he's had some good moments in the show. Like, I, I loved his part in the 50s story. But finding out more about him and, and done so in such an economically and yet powerful fashion, that was just fantastic. And I really love how forgiving Rip was of Jax possibly 
And I say possibly because we don't know if what Jax told his dad actually changed anything. So possibly changed history. I love that Rip kind of let him off the hook for that. But the scene that was really so awesome for me was the hospital scene. And that's when Martin took Jax to meet his father. I mean, that was just awesome. It was it was amazing. Every last bit of it. I, I actually didn't look up who the actor is that plays Jax's dad in this episode. But really, both actors just did a great job of, of making me care about both of them. And especially caring more about Jax than ever before. And as for the Kendra and Ray thing, that whole looming CW mandate love triangle, it seems to have been averted. Um, you know, there was no finding the ring drama, so that was good. Um, a decision has been made, evidently. Kendra has made the decision to do what she's going to do. That's great. But the only thing is, since old 1800s Kendra said what she said about being either tragic or heartbreaking, you have to wonder if that doesn't add more peril uh, for Ray's future. And just real quickly, again, I loved the final showdown um, between the Pilgrim and all of them. Uh, and I love that it was young Rip or Michael or whatever that, that actually did the deed that got her distracted enough to where she could take those micro time manipulations. You know, she couldn't hold it anymore. Pilgrim more or less got snuffed out by her main target. Uh, so that was a f- pretty fantastic. And, and that kid wasn't too bad of an actor. Not great. But as kid actors go, to me, he he was much definitely much better than the young Aldous or the young H.G. Wells in, in prior episodes, for sure. And I guess that's really all I have. Uh, I'm going to rate this episode pretty high as well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, The Flash and the... Legends episodes seem to contradict each other in terms of what being dead actually is. But I, I and I agree with Donald. Those wrinkles are, are very problematic. But I got much more about character in this story than I worried about plot, I suppose. There comes a point where I guess you just have to kind of throw your hands up in the air and, and hope that the expanded Arrowverse doesn't really conf- contradict itself too often. Uh, And I'm going 8.9 for this episode rating. And that is it, folks. I have no feedback. Come on, write me. At Save the City Pod on Twitter. Or Save the City Podcast at gmail.com. Or 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Do I sound like I'm begging? That's because I am. Coming up this Thursday, I will have another podcast release uh, of something that I recorded over the weekend with my good friend, Glenn Ewing who I've done a number of podcasts with on Heath Solo's The Film List. Um, We're both big fans of a lot of different kinds of the same things. Huge Star Wars fans. Uh, Glenn is just an expert on just about everything, including the DC Universe, but that's not what we're going to talk about this time around. This time around, we're going to break away from our usual DC chains, and we're going to jump over, uh, and please don't... uh, think call us traitors here but we're going to jump over to the marvel cinematic universe and we're going to take a look at that everything that's been done in phase one and phase two so far and we're going to look ahead to the captain america civil war uh, as it gets closer kind of our expectations of that so we're going to look at all of the films that has been made 
and again also examine uh, some co- films coming up in the future of the franchise um, and then next Monday I'll be back to talk about all of the episodes that happened this week that you're getting um, since you're getting this podcast on Monday there's no Supergirl anymore uh, so we'll have Flash we'll have Arrow we'll have Legends of Tomorrow I think uh, and you'll get all of that next Monday but still Hopefully we'll see you Thursday uh, when Glenn and I talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In the meantime, take care. Bye-bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.